Well, good morning, Chapel family. Well, it was about 30 years ago, Janet and I headed out with a number of our senior hires. We were on the very first ever Chapel youth mission trip working among the Navajo in, um, in Arizona. Late one night, we were returning to our camp near Flagstaff, and we, we went through the Sunset Crater National Monument. Uh, it was just kind of a shortcut always back and forth to our place on, in the Navajo Nation. And um, it was a moonless and, and cloudless night. In the purity of that desert air, far away from city lights and city pollution, at an elevation of close to 7,000 feet, the beauty of the stars and the brightness of the stars was staggering. Some of you maybe have been in a place like that. Uh, we were moved, I remember, just to pull the, the old chapel van over and by the side of the road there was no traffic. It's out in the middle of the desert. And, and uh, we got out and just spent some time taking it all in. On the one hand, the sheer vastness and the enormity of the stars was just breathtaking. On the other hand, the, the, the stars seemed so brilliant and, and so close that you felt like you could reach out and, and touch them. I've never forgotten how as we were there that night, and I don't know how long we were out there, maybe an hour, somewhere along the line, as we were gazing at that panoramic scene in God's original Omnimax, <laughs> one of the kids started singing and soon we found all of us just singing those words, How great Thou art, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds Your hands have made. I see the stars. Hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. I can't help but think that as we come to our psalm this morning, Psalm 8, that David is having a moment very similar to what we had there in Arizona that night. We read this psalm earlier, but I encourage you to turn to it and follow along this morning as we Look at this marvelous, marvelous song. Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. It's the very first verse. God is majestic. He is great. He is glorious. He is magnificent. He is beautiful. The word majestic is describing something that puts us in awe puts us in wonder, in amazement. God is majestic. He says, O Lord, and you'll notice in, in your Bibles, it's usually, for in most translations, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which means it's, that's the, when you see that in your English Bible, it's referring to Yahweh, God's personal name, the great I Am. The absolutely existing God, who is our Lord, capital L, lowercase o-r-d, which generally in, in the English translation is referring to the Hebrew word Adonai, 
A name for God who is the God who is in charge. And so David is saying He's the God who is and He is the God who's in charge. And He's awesome and He's amazing. You maybe noticed when we read it earlier that the first verse, the first line of this psalm is also the last line. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. He begins and ends this psalm with His main point. His big idea of the psalm is this. God is majestic. And then as He develops that thought through the psalm, as he develops this hymn in praise of God's majesty, there's a theme that runs through the psalm like a river. And it is that God's glory, His greatness, His majesty is seen through His creation. God's greatness is clearly proclaimed through His creation. He says, how majestic is your name in all the earth. God's glory is seen everywhere you look in creation. Have you noticed? Every aspect of creation, whether you're in the mountains, all the earth is created by God, whether you're by the seashore. Every corner of the earth, whether you're at the Grand Canyon or in the desert, all of it you see is made by the hand of God. And all of it is sustained by God. Everything in earth, the earth is absolutely dependent upon Him. And we find our life and our purpose in Him. The Apostle Paul says it later this way, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. O Lord, our Lord, how... Majestic is your name in all the earth. And he goes on, he says, you've set your glory above the heavens. God's glory is even greater than the things that you and I can see as we look at the world around us, as we observe the world around us, as we observe the heavens above us. God's glory stretches beyond that. It stretches beyond the incomprehensibly great and the infinite vastness and the wondrous beauty of the universe. David didn't know nearly what you and I know today about the complexity of our solar system. Without telescopes, they didn't know of the intricate makeup and the orbits of the sun and its planets and how our sun is just one star among millions in our galaxy of stars and how our galaxy is simply one among billions of galaxies. And that the farther we see out into space, the more we discover there is to see out beyond and the more we realize there is for us to yet discover. While he didn't understand all of that, David understood that our Creator is greater than his creation. And he understood that the earth and the heavens were vast and great, and so God's glory is above the heavens. Superlative in in God's, the the vastness of his glory, the greatness of his glory, and the greatness of his power. So it should be all the more that you and I, knowing what we know today, that we understand just how big and great God is. His glory is above the heavens. In verse 3, you go down and he says, 
when I look at your heaven and the work of your fingers and the moon and the stars which you have set into place, you realize he talks about your heavens. The planets and the stars and the solar systems and the galaxies belong to God. He holds the title deed to it. He's the Creator. He owns it. Psalm 147 verse 4 tells us not only does God own it, He names every star. Trillions upon trillions of stars and He's named them all. He calls them by name. He says again there in verse 3, He says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers... Interesting, he chooses that word. It's finger work. What he's telling us in this little line of poetry is that God created them easily. If that's the work of his fingers, you see, what does he do with his arms? It's just with his fingers. Billions and trillions of stars. (laughs) What could his arms do? And he says that you've set them in place. God set the moon and stars in place. God has precisely placed the earth in relation to the sun. The moon in relation to the earth. See, there's complexity in our solar system. There's complexity in in our galaxy. There's complexity in the universe. Just in our little realm of the universe with the earth and the sun and the moon, even slight variations from how things are placed would mean the end of life as we know it. One evolutionist I read last week said, it seems as though the earth was almost placed here for life. Yeah, almost. The sun's temperature, they say, I haven't been there to measure it, but they say it's 12,000 degrees Fahrenheit. If the earth's rotation, spinning on its axis, slowed down just a little bit, we would alternately freeze and burn. If the earth was any closer to the sun than it is, we would burn. If it was any farther away, we would freeze. You know, the earth is tilted on its axis exactly 23 degrees. And if it, that provides the four seasons, the seasons that we enjoy on earth. If it didn't have those seasons, ocean vapors would move north and south and create vast, massive continents of ice. If the moon's distance to the earth changed even slightly, continents would be inundated by Tides twice a day. It's no accident. David says he set it right where he did. Then David moves from the sky in verse 5 and he moves to living things. He says, you made him, speaking of man, God made us. Verse 6, he talks about the work of your hands and then he lists those works in verses 7 and 8. The fox and the herds and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and all that swims in the sea. Saying God made all the creatures, all the living things. David is impressed with the greatness of God and you and I ought to be also. 
But David had no idea how the greatness of God not only, not only extends to what you can observe around here and what he could see in the vastness of space, which was so limited, but he had no idea how it extended even to a microscopic level. How just a teaspoonful of dirt from your garden will contain easily a billion up to tens of billions of, my, of living organisms in the microscopic level. And those organisms are composed of living cells which are composed of various compounds which are composed of molecules which are composed of atoms which are composed of subatomic particles, you know, protons, neutrons, electrons, which are composed of even, they've discovered, smaller things called quarks. Maybe they'll find someday those are composed of smaller things. You see, the complexity, whether we look in the big picture, the macro, or whether we look in the tiny picture, the micro, whether we look up, whether we look down, wherever we look, there is awesome complexity, unimaginable diversity, beauty. And it caused David to look and say, Wow! There's a Creator and He's awesome! Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth! Today we have more knowledge about the complexity and the diversity than we have ever had before. Yet we have a world that is screaming, yeah, it just happened. <laughs> Which makes no sense. It still screams out there is a Creator. The sad thing is that those of us who believe there is a Creator we have more knowledge about creation than David did, but I think most of us have less appreciation for the wonder of creation than David did. I think because most of us have far less experience with creation than David did. See, somehow in our modern, our, our electrified, our air-conditioned world that's full of bright lights and earbuds, and little personal monitors that we carry everywhere. We manage to wall off, shut out, drive by, fly over, tune out from God's marvelous handiwork. I believe our worship life would benefit greatly from more deliberate efforts for you and me to get out and to expose ourselves to God's creation and to deliberately observe and to ponder and to look. See, that's one of the great values of camp. It's not all the reason why we do camp, but it's one of the reasons we, I loved as a youth pastor to take kids out, take them away from their normal stuff and throw them out into, into a world where they see a little more nature and you take away the electronic devices and you take away the distractions. You begin to just look. You begin to look at that bug and wonder, what kind of a bug is that? I've never seen that bug before. I wonder if it's poisonous. 
<laughs> it just bit me. <laughs> no, I think we need to take time and make time to be out in the garden, to be out in the woods, to be in the night sky, to appreciate creation and then to bow in wonder and in adoration, as the hymn says, of our great Creator. Creation is a marvelous showcase for God's greatness. And that is a major theme in this psalm. And generally when this psalm, when, we, when parts of it are taken and put to music, that's what everybody focuses on. But there is actually a second theme that flows through this psalm like a river as well. And, and it showcases God's greatness. But it does so in a very surprising and different way. See, God's greatness is demonstrated not only in the vastness and the beauty and the diversity and the greatness and the grandeur of creation, but God's greatness is demonstrated through His use of weak things to accomplish great things. Specifically, God's glory, His greatness is seen through human weakness. Three ways it shows up in, this, in these few little verses here in this psalm. God's supreme majesty is displayed, he says in verse 2, through babies and infants. Out of the mouths of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. See, there, there are people in this world who are enemies of God. You know that. Folks who, who are against God, who are against what God declares, who are against what God desires, who are against God's people. And from everything that we've seen about God so far in this psalm, how great and awesome and powerful God is, we realize that God could simply squash those enemies like a bug. He doesn't even need to lift a finger because as, as we saw in Colossians 1.18 that it's God who holds everything together. What is it that keeps the, the atom functioning? That keeps it together? That it doesn't fly apart? I don't know, but God does it. What is it that keeps your lungs sucking air? Not a one of us gave a thought to that this morning. Breathe. You're not sitting there right now. I gotta breathe. I'm gonna die. Gotta keep breathing. Why do you keep sucking air? Because God made you that way. Why does your heart keep beating? Not because you said, beat. Come on, keep going. <laughs> All it has to do for you to die is God just lets your heart stop beating. Yeah, as your lungs stop suck, stop stop sucking air. He can simply tell the sun to quit shining or the rain to quit falling or the atoms just let them fly apart. God could simply wipe out His enemies with the Word. And yet what the psalm is saying is that He will use babies, children. In other words, He'll use the, the weakest of people and the weakest of things to destroy His enemies. You know, in the movies, Jackie Chan made a career of doing martial arts with a comedic flair. If you've ever seen a movie of his, he fights off the bad guys with whatever is handy. 
It can be a ladder. It can be a broomstick. It can be a lamp or a bucket or a plant or furniture. The more ridiculous, the more the less weapon-like, the better. Because, you see, the weaker the weapon is, the brighter it displays the skill of the warrior. And so it is with God. The weaker the vessel, the greater the glory of God. A biblical example in Judges 15, Samson kills a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. I noticed that nowhere in the world did people start converting to donkey jawbones for weapons. Oh, I guess we better sell all our, all our swords and buy donkey jawbones. No, because what, they, what it said was that donkey jawbones aren't the weapon of choice that make a great warrior. The power and the success wasn't in the jawbone. It was due to God empowering the man who was wielding the jawbone. That's the point, and it's one that is throughout the Scriptures. God does not work the way we think He should. But God chooses to work through the weak things, through the foolish things, in ways that confound and perplex us so that He will receive all the glory. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He's chosen the weak things of the world to shame the strong so that no one may boast before Him. See, the good news is that God works through weak people like you and me. When you feel incompetent and inadequate to do anything useful for God, awesome! Because that's when God's likely to use you to do something significant. It's interesting. Jesus quotes this psalm in Matthew chapter 21. It's after he, and it's after that he's coming to Jerusalem in the triumphal entries, that last week of Christ's life. He's come into Jerusalem. He's cleansed the temple. You recall that was a miracle in itself, chasing out the money changers. And, and then He's in the temple and He's teaching and the, He's healing and the Pharisees are ticked at Jesus. Verse 15 of Matthew chapter 21 says this, but when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that Jesus did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the Son of David! These leaders were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked Him. Yes, replied Jesus. Then He quotes this psalm. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? And he doesn't finish the quotation. He leaves that for them to fill in the blanks themselves because they knew the Scriptures. They just thought they were on God's side. And they weren't. And they have to fill in the blanks. They know where he left off. And they know the rest of it says to silence his enemies and the avengers. Ouch. God's majesty shows up in His using the weak things, the infants and the babies, for His to accomplish His purpose. But there's another thing that shows up here in the weakness of man. 
Find it in verses 3 to 8. What is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. You've crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands and you've put all things under his feet, all the sheep and oxen and the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven and the fish of the seas and whatever passes along the paths of the sea. In light of all the vastness the enormity, the immensity of creation, in light of the power and the scope of creation and the majesty of all of God's work, David is bewildered and he's amazed. Why does God even notice man, much less care about him? And that's a great question. You know, I can't tell you how many spiders I squashed last week. I killed some wasps. I didn't even feel bad about it. Matter of fact, I was glad. Especially after that one stung me on the back. Why does God care about you and me? When in our world, a spider and a wasp is much bigger in our world than you and I are in God's universe in terms of space. That's what David's saying. Why does God notice and care? But what he says is God not only knows you, He cares about you, and He has a purpose for you. You made Him a little lower than the heavenly beings and you crowned Him with honor and glory. God has given you significance. Purely from a natural viewpoint in this universe, we have no significance whatever. But in the biblical view of the world, we have significance because God says so. You matter. You matter to me. And we have position because God has given us position. He has put us in dominion over the works of His hands. God placed us here to rule over His creation. Isn't that amazing? The greatness of God is seen through the fact that He is ruling His world through weak creatures like you and me. There's a third thing here that shows the glory of God through human weakness. It's really the same verses I just read. These verses that talk about you and me, in, about mankind in general, also have another way of looking at it. And which one is right? Absolutely both. It's doing both at one time. It's looking at mankind in general says that God's greatness shows up in our position as man. The New Testament makes it very clear that this same passage has a very specific application to Jesus Himself. Hebrews chapter 2 quotes from this psalm and then in verse 9 of Hebrews chapter 2 it lets us know He's talking specifically about Jesus. It says this, But we see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. He's just quoted this whole little section of the psalm. Then he says, Jesus is the one who is made a little lower than the angels. 
crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So that the grace of God, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is the ultimate demonstration of God's majesty and greatness through human weakness shows up in Jesus Christ when God Himself became one of us. Jesus, the Lord of glory, humbled Himself, took on the form of a servant. Philippians chapter 2 says, becoming a human, He humbled Himself even to the point of allowing Himself to be executed on a cross. God, the all-powerful, all-creating, all-majestic God, appeared unimaginably, unthinkably weak. And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. See, it was at the very point of weakness that the power of, and the wisdom of God shone out in its most blazing glory of all. The most spectacular glory of God shows up as Jesus Christ, the God-man, defeats the powers of Satan and sin and death and hell through weakness. Jesus provides rescue, forgiveness from sin and its penalty to anyone, to everyone who will put their trust in Him. And I do hope this morning as you're here that you are trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And if you are not, He calls to you and He invites you to believe in Him. But the story doesn't end there. Jesus ultimately fulfills the phrase here at the end of that where He says that you have crowned Him with glory and honor and you have at the end of verse 6 put all things under His feet. Jesus humbled Himself, became one of us, became weak. He humbled Himself to the point of death, but He rose from the dead. He conquered death and hell. And ultimately, everything is going to be under His feet. He is going to rule and reign over all of creation. And the Scripture tells us that as Jesus the man, the God-man is elevated to glory, then along with Him, our weakness is finally turned to strength. And by God's grace, little, weak, insignificant, you and me will ultimately and eternally share in the glory and honor of Jesus Christ Himself. That's the message of this psalm. And that's again why He goes back, Oh Lord, our Lord, what is man that you're mindful of Him? The Son of Man that you visit Him and that we are going to end up ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ. How can we not join with David and exclaim that last verse of the psalm? O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name 
in all the earth. Father, this is marvelous stuff. Not just that You are the creating God. That's awesome. And how it ought to drive us to our knees in wonder and amazement. But You are the God who created us and You are the loving God who knows us and cares for us. So much that You have chosen to take these weak creatures and through Your grace You have rescued us and through Your grace You promise us glory and honor through Jesus. You've done it all through using the weak things to confound the mighty, the foolish things to confound the wise. So that in everything you receive the glory. Father, this week, increase in us the wonder of who you are. Increase in us our adoration of you. Increase in us our devotion to You so that we might worship You not just with our lips. That we would do that more. But we will worship You with our very life. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.